You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Receive, Finding Freedom Through Healing. In this series from the Gospel of Matthew, we learn beautiful insights into the heart of God, the nature of His grace, and the pathway of faith that leads us to freedom. Good morning, Sojourn. My name is Jess, and we are so glad that you are here today. You can follow along with today's reading in your bulletin, which also has lots of upcoming events on the back, like next Sunday's foster care meeting and our free work is worship lunch panel. If you've got your app, you can see lots more info on the app version of your bulletin. Also, after this service, we ask that you visit our special table in the lobby to learn how you can donate gifts to help provide low-income families in our community with a dignified Christmas shopping experience. It's an awesome way that we can partner with our community this holiday season. All right. Now hear the word of the Lord. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. They praised God for giving humans such authority. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad that you are here. Um, What does it take to receive grace? If If you know the definition of grace, or at least the, the textbook definition of it, that may seem like a moderately ridiculous question. But there's a difference between what we know and say with our mouths and how we, how we actually believe. Um, just for, for instance, if you think about the last day that you really felt like God was pleased with you, uh, God loved you, versus a day that you really felt like God was disappointed in you or angry with you, my guess is that the difference there revolves around something you did or didn't do that day. And yet we say, well, grace is a one-way gift from God, or all is grace. Uh, in this part of the world where we preach grace, I, I hear interesting things from people who grew up confessing grace or would, would pass the grace theology test, and so they'll, they'll say things like, you know, I'm praying for healing, and as I, as I wait, I just need to fully surrender. 
You ever heard a Christian say something like that? I'm going to fully surrender this over to the Lord. Or maybe you, maybe you had a plan that fell through, and you're coming up with the second plan, and you'll say, I need to be totally committed to Jesus this time. We say these big phrases like, like full, all, total, to describe what's required of us in our relationship with God for things to go through while we preach grace. So it, it seems to me there's a, there's a functional difference between what we're confessing and how we're actually living. Uh, one theologian talking about this passage, he describes our perspective this way, and this is what he says, only absolute surrender will get us absolute help. You ever felt that way? I have to be fully committed. Are you all in? Have you completely surrendered? Which, it's almost impossible to define those words or phrases, and yet when we don't express them, or I don't know, somehow we fall short, we're, we're sure it comes back into one of these kind of ambiguous, all total, everything kind of statements. This is us. We confess grace, and we rely on our efforts to get it. <laughs> Have you noticed that? I mean, do you see that in your own life? You preach grace, and when you don't receive grace, or you're confused or hurting, it's your own efforts that are the problem. The healing doesn't come. I didn't fully trust. The healing didn't come. It's because I didn't have enough faith. Something happens. I wasn't totally committed. What does it take to receive grace? When we started in the book of Matthew several months ago now, we mentioned that God reveals something to us in the words that Matthew says. So this would be kind of in your, your typical Bible study. What do each one of these words mean? Let's understand what they mean in the context. God is revealing something about himself through the words that Matthew wrote, but also in the way that Matthew structured and organized his writing. The book of Matthew is brilliant in its thematic structuring. And so there's times where he'll be revealing something to us by the order that stories appear in or patterns that stories have. And it's, it's worth paying attention to, especially when we can step back and look at large chunks of what's going on. So in chapter 8, we had these rapid-fire miracles that we've looked at now. Chapter 9, it starts transitioning a little bit in these stories of the paralyzed man and the, the calling of Matthew. Matthew is trying to teach us something about grace, specifically in chapter 8, and then in chapter 9, how grace relates to faith. So we're going to play, I don't know if it'll be a game, but we'll need some crowd participation here. I want everyone to pretend we're school teachers for a minute, and maybe you don't have to pretend, which would be helpful if you are a school teacher, if you have a red pen, you can get it out. And what, what we're going to do is we're going to give a grade for every one of the miracles that happened in Matthew chapter 8. Specifically, we're going to grade the faith of the people who were healed. Does that make sense? We're going to grade the faith of the people who were healed. And maybe the first one will be easy to get. Maybe you'll understand what I'm trying to do here in a second. Uh, so the first one is the leper, okay? This is the first one in chapter 8. Jesus is coming down from the Sermon on the Mount. Leper jumps out from a bush. That's me reading between the lines. It says, suddenly, and in verse 2, Matthew 8, verse 2, it says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. <clears throat> so let's grade this now. He says, Lord, 
That's a good one. When you're talking to Jesus, if you call him Lord, that gets you points. Um, it's an appropriate, I don't know, uh, title to give to Jesus. He says, if you are willing, you see he's coming open-handed. This is up to you, Jesus. He's putting the ball in Jesus' court. And then he says, you can heal me. He doesn't say, if you think about it, if you try, maybe Jesus, I don't know if you, you know. He says, if you're willing, you can do this. 100% faith. What, so what do you want? What, what grade should we give the leper here? A. A plus. I would give the plus there. I think that's about as good as you can get. Lord, if you are willing, the humility, you can do this. He's not saying, I think you might be able to. You might could, as my friends in the South would say. No, he's 100%. You can do this. I give that an A plus. From there, we get the Roman officer in verses, uh, let's look at six and eight. He says, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. It's pretty strong too. He, for the sake of the argument I'm making, I have to find something to pick on here in the Roman officer. He doesn't put the ball in Jesus' court quite the same way as the leper does, I think, but he still calls him Lord. He still says you can do this. Maybe not quite perfect faith like the leper is, but I would still give him a solid A, maybe A minus. From there, we get Peter's mother, or Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm not going to put the text up because she doesn't do anything. We're just told that she's sick. Mark says she's dead. This one says she's got a fever. And we don't hear anything about her, really. Uh, she doesn't even get a participation grade. She doesn't speak. Um, she does make Jesus food afterwards. If you go read the story, she wakes up and makes him a meal. So she doesn't really do anything right, but she doesn't do anything wrong either. So that's a passing grade. I give her a C. You see that? I think that's a fair grade. Some of you get problems with C's. I don't think it's a problem. C. She gets a C. She didn't do anything. She was just there, but she didn't do anything wrong either. So then we have the disciples. Now, you might be tempted to say, okay, here come the big guns. It's the disciples, and they're on a boat, and there's a storm coming on the boat, and they freak out, and Jesus calls them cowards. He rebukes them for their lack of faith. I will give the disciples a D. At least they came to Jesus. It's not a total fail, but their faith is rebuked by Jesus. Then we get the demon-possessed man. Let's look at this a little bit more. Verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, so this is after the storm, in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. Notice they came to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to them. Kind of like the leper, they came out to meet Jesus. But what was their reason for approaching Jesus? Verse 29, they began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? They're screaming at him. We know from verse 28 that they're violent. The whole town is afraid of them. They're hostile. They're antagonistic. They try to put some theology on it. See how they twist God's word? 
uh, have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? So the demons are telling Jesus the will of God. Jesus hurls the demonic spirits into pigs who jump off a cliff. Violent, antagonistic, and they don't want healing. You see that? They're not coming to Jesus to ask for healing or for freedom or for deliverance. They're hostile, violent, antagonistic towards Jesus. So if you do name-calling, Bible-twisting, violence, I give that an F. I give that the demon, the demoniacs, the demon-possessed men, they get an F. So in chapter 8, there's this downward slope of faith from the beginning to the end. It starts at a high point, and each instance, there's a dec- decrease in the quality or the sincerity of the faith in the person being healed. Every grade, A plus to F in chapter 8. Now, conversely... Let's grade the healing that they received. We'll do this quickly. To the leper, this is what we read. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. Roman centurion, go back home. Because you believed, it's happened. Peter's mother-in-law, when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. The disciples, he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. To the demoniacs, all right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Can you see what God is trying to tell us about the nature of his grace? I I will spell it out very simply for you. A plus faith received A plus healing. B plus faith received A plus healing. C faith received A plus healing. D faith received F faith received A plus healing. The grace of God is birthed from the love of God, poured out from the storehouses of His mercy. It's an act of generosity. What is required to receive grace? Fundamentally, to receive grace, we need a generous God, and that's it. A generous God is all that is required to receive grace. And chapter 9 doesn't slow up on this message. A man who's paralyzed is brought by his friends to Jesus. Now, being paralyzed, he doesn't get much of a say in where he goes, right? You understand that? He didn't choose to go there. His friends brought him there. And... This is what happens in verse 2. Some people brought to him, that's Jesus, a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith did Jesus see here? So I need somebody to say it louder. The friends. The friends. Was, let's think about chapter 8 here for a second. Again, we got A plus faith. The leper asked for healing. But do you, do you realize that the Roman centurion, the servant, didn't ask for healing? It was not his faith that made him healed. It wasn't the faith of Peter's mother-in-law that got her healed. 
Someone had the faith to bring Jesus to her, but she didn't have any faith. What about the disciples? Well, they didn't have any faith because they got rebuked for it. Well, what about the demoniacs? Well, they didn't have any faith because they were angry with Jesus. What about the paralyzed man? He had no say in coming there, and Jesus heals him based on the faith of his friends. Evidently, indirect faith is enough too. Jesus shows up after this. It says he's walking around and stumbles across Matthew while he's at work. Matthew, the author here, who's working as a tax collector. Maybe he's doing returns and it's tax season and he's hustling. And Jesus says to him in verse 9, follow me and be my disciple. It doesn't say Jesus perceiving the gifts and strengths of Matthew. Jesus seeing how hard Matthew was at work and knowing what faith he had. Follow me. The call of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, it's all grace. How much effort does it take you to receive the grace of God? In light of Matthew 8 and 9, apparently as little faith as not even asking for it. This presses us into the very heart of God and His mission. He's not looking for big faiths. He's not looking for total commitment, absolute surrenderers. I think in part because he knows that that is not any of us. If that is the bar, then the banquet feast that he's planning for us will be very, very empty. After all of this healing, the religious people, which, man, sometimes it's the religious people who are the biggest hindrance to the mission of God. The good church folk, the good people who come here thinking that all of their sins are past tense, the people who've been in Bible study their whole life and think they've got it all figured out, they see Jesus doing this stuff, and it makes them very uncomfortable. He said that he forgave this guy's sins. It's not how it's supposed to work. You got some real problems here with Jesus extending the forgiveness of sins to this guy on the mat. One, because that's something only God can do. And two, as best we can tell, the guy in the mat didn't even ask for it. Can someone else just acknowledge that makes you a little uncomfortable? You see how much healing and forgiveness is extended here from people who didn't even ask for it. And the religious people are very bothered by it. These people do not deserve to receive this kind of grace. These are the people that would say things like, well, I don't know how they could call themselves Christians and spend time with someone like that. Y'all hear that around here? Have you ever felt that pressure? You ever sat down with somebody and you get nervous? What if someone from church sees me meeting with this person? You go somewhere. What if someone from church sees me here? What are they going to think? I don't know how... I mean, Y'all, I cannot tell you how often I hear some version of that phrase. I don't know how they could call themselves a Christian and fill in the blank. Listen to the heart of God. This is what Jesus says in response to these religious teachers trying to rebuke the Lord of grace. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, Go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
What does it take to receive grace? You have to be sick. Can you see the pain each one of these people were in? Physical, emotional, relational, every form of pain. I mean, maybe not every, but pretty close to it is, is here in chapters 8 and 9. Can you see the pain they were in? Whether they wanted to be healed or not, they were all suffering. It seems that all you need to possess to receive the grace of God is a generous God and your own awareness, your own, not even awareness, your own need. And this has been the message from beginning to end. You notice Jesus quotes to the religious people from the Bible. (laughs) He basically says, go reread that Bible and figure out what it means. Notice he doesn't explain, go learn what this means. Read it again, guys. Read it, go back to Bible study. And he's quoting something that shows up frequently in the Old Testament. Here's one version of it in Hosea 6. And this is God speaking. He says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. In in other words, God's saying, I want relationship with you and to experience you and me and me and you more than I want you to jump through religious hoops. This is the heart of God. This is the core of his mission. And to show us this, he he comes and he lives amongst us. We looked at it last week. He enters the boat of our suffering. He raises the dead. He calms the storms. He cleanses lepers. He casts out demons to show us what it means that he is the Lord of grace. We are sick. He is the doctor. We are dead, but he is the life and the resurrection. We no longer need to bring sacrifices because God came and was sacrificed for us. And he did all of this not to get you to jump through hoops. He did all of this because he wants to know you. He wants to heal you and he wants to set you free. He came not because you've earned it, not because of how many good days you've strung together or how many successes in a row you've had, He came because he loves you. He lived for you because he loves you. He died for you because he loves you. He raised for you because he loves you. What does it take to receive grace? It takes a God who loves you enough to come for you, live for you, die for you, be raised for you. So one of the most pressing questions of Matthew chapter 8 and here into the middle part of 9 I mean, maybe the key question of the Christian life in some ways is, do you feel your need for the Lord of grace? Do you feel your need of him? And if you feel your need of him, then receive him. Do you want to follow him now? Is anybody so confused? God, what's your will for my life? Well, I feel in some ways he's saying to us, go learn what this means. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me, not bring burnt offerings. As far as I can tell, that means the door is wide open. And and anything we do in the name of Jesus for the goal of showing love and knowing God, boy, it sounds like that could count. 
Pursue relationship with God, not proving your faith. Micah 6 says the same thing again. He's shown you his will for your life. Love, justice, and mercy. Walk humbly with God. What should you do for the rest of your life in response to the Lord of grace? Learn what this means. Love justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. So our invitation, week after week, is to come and receive the Lord of grace. The full healing he offers you in light of his grace and his love. And just real, real quick, the, the reminder of communion, communion is not that, uh, not that we've drummed up faith to love God, but this is a response where we're recognizing that he loved us first. He drew near and, and came to us, and we rest in the promise of God came near, which is not that we will be healed in this life. Sometimes the healing will come but it won't always come for reasons that I wish I had answers for. Tragedy will happen in your life and you will drum up all the faith that you have and God will withhold the miracle. We must not be a people who mistake the healing for grace. Just because the healing didn't come doesn't mean that grace isn't present. The promise of grace is not that we will be healed today, but that we will be raised. If Christ rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. So whether in this life or the next, we will receive a healing that is fuller, richer, more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. We rest in that promise. This perishable body will be laid to rest and one day will be raised and we will put on imperishable bodies. I was talking to a five-year-old at membership class on Friday night, and he asked me if his feet would hurt in heaven, which is a cute question for a five-year-old to ask, right? And I got to say to him, buddy, you will run and never grow tired in heaven. And you should have seen the excitement and hope on this guy's face. That is what is waiting for us. The perishable will be replaced by the imperishable. The promise of grace is not that we will be healed today, but that we will be raised. And in all of our sufferings, we walk as those united with Christ through his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. What does it take to receive grace? A generous God who loves you. And so we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you want to know, I mean, it's just... The message is so clear over and over. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, guys, I'm going to come back in 200 years and give you a chance to do it better. You notice he doesn't say that? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus says, hey, tomorrow, I want you guys to try really hard not to sin all day because I'm going to do something important. Do you, I mean, do you see that? Have you felt the sting of betrayal? Have you felt that? What do you tend to do when you're betrayed? I run, or at least I murder somebody in my mind, Right? I'm such a good Christian, I'll stick around and say the right things, but one day, you know what I mean? On the night he was betrayed by those closest to him. We'll look at this eventually. Jesus looks at his betrayer and says, with a kiss? Of all of the ways you could do this? With a sign of affection? And even still, on that night when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and the Lord of grace said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. 
after the meal, he took a cup of wine. And he says, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Lord of Grace says it doesn't, doesn't so much matter what you've done, where you're at, because it's his blood that seals your relationship with God. doesn't make it possible. doesn't give you a good shot. It seals it. If you're here this morning and you're wondering if you're in God's good graces, if you're wondering, does he still love you, ask yourself, is the blood of Christ still shed for you? And then you have your answer. Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. Uh, wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, and there will be stations in the back. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, let's come remember our hope. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.